We're getting ready to bring back American Fashion Podcast with new episodes very soon. But uh, this evening, Anne Roth, one of our former guests on the show, uh, won the Academy Award. And so we'd like to present her episode again for everyone to hear. Costumes are the clothes that the character in the literature wears. So there's no such thing as an actor saying in the fitting room, I don't wear yellow, because no one cares whether that person wears yellow at all. We care whether the character likes yellow. Absolutely. And if that actor doesn't understand that from the beginning, then you don't really want to work with that person. But often, long ago, in the oldie days, movie stars were dressed as movies, as who they were, their own characters. You know what I mean? Their own people. And there were, of course, movie actors who wanted to be, who wanted to create a character, but there were many, many who were advertised. Each studio had its roster of movie stars. And those people were dressed as themselves. That's a very, it's a whole very different philosophy. Yeah. Fashion, of course, is, I mean, we hopefully we know about fashion starting at the Minoan days, I mean, pre-Christ. That's a huge history and huge yeah. story. I mean, the 18th century is a three-year study, yeah. I would say. And there are very few designers who know anything about it. This is American Fashion Podcast. I'm Charles Beckwith here with Kathy Sheppes. Hi, everyone. Our guests in the studio are Anne Roth, a costume designer for film, television, and theater who has more than 100 screen credits to her name, including Midnight Cowboy, Working Girl, Cold Mountain, and Mamma Mia. She received the Academy Award for Best Costume Design for The English Patient and The Talented Mr. Ripley. Also here is uh, Giovanni Lapari who is a costume designer on the new AMC series Into the Badlands. And uh, he assisted as a costumer on Gangs of New York, The Borgias, Penny Dreadful, and one of my very favorites, Rome. That's the truth. Giovanni, uh, I take it that you've been working at Cinecita. Since? Cinecita. Yes, I did. Yes. Cinecita. Cinecita. Yeah. My, Ita- my Italian is terrible. No, but I did understand. Oh, um, can you tell me about working at that studio on on Rome? I mean, this is one of my absolute favorite television shows. It's yeah. it's wonderful. It is wonderful. They built the forum in the back lot at Cinecita. Yeah, that was the first uh, TV experience I had, but I should have known at the time there was a much different experience than later on. That was actually a like filmed with film camera. It was uh, almost a movie. So it was a very beautiful experience and frightening because it was shot in Chinichita. So I was almost afraid to step in that place, you know, the history of that place. Yeah, um, I mean, that's Fellini's home turf. Yes. And and so many others, Antonioni yeah. and... Yeah. Uh, goes on and on. Yeah. And you know that well. That's sacred ground in yes. Rome. Chinichita's. Yeah. You, sh- you shot there, Anne, right? Uh, I did did uh, English Patient. Yes. Mr. Ripley. And Ripley. Yeah. And. Already uh, a lot. Two of those, yeah. Mm. It's very. It's it's not that um, uh, new in technology. You wouldn't expect any U.S. studios, but it's full of history. 
Yeah. yeah. You can tell when, as you get in, a lot happened there. Yes, so you learn true. from, yeah? It's a great feeling of Italian cinema there. I remember when, uh, what was it, Titus Andronicus was being, were you around for yes, that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I worked on it. Yeah. You did? Yeah. And Julie Tamar was the director. It was very exciting. Volatile. Anyway. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in costume design? In 1960, I, st I started painting scenery in Pittsburgh at the Pittsburgh Opera. My family wanted me to go to a Quaker school in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia. And I, in a moment of clarity, left and went to Pittsburgh to Carnegie Tech. And um, I couldn't tell you why, but I came from a farmland in Pennsylvania, and I just knew that I needed to have a big hat and a cigarette holder and be a designer. So I went to Pittsburgh, and I enrolled at Carnegie Tech. My family were pleased, I guess. That's how I got started, painting scenery in the, at the Opera House. And uh, I loved it. But anyway, I went to work for Irene Sharoff. These names are probably not going to mean anything to you. But Sharoff was a great designer, and she did all the great movies that you love, and a lot of television. And I don't mean television. I mean theater. She didn't do any television. Uh, and she said, you know, I don't think you should be a, a scenic designer. I think you should be a costume designer. And I never questioned her, and I just, that was it. And that's what I started with. And I started working in the theater. And then I went to California for a couple of years. And it was the in the day of, it was still a company town, although I was too young to understand the significance of that. But it felt like the Prudential Insurance Company, if you know what, if you can know what I mean. It was just. It was terribly, I didn't prepare this speech, so I'm trying to figure the vocabulary here, but it was like, um, oh, it was very unionized, which i Corporate? I'm, didn't feel corporate? Yes, as mm -hmm. I said, it was like a, mm. and there were so many rules, and... You didn't like it, the rules. It, no, it, well, it... This, this it, was the end of the studio system, right? I'm sorry? This was the end of the studio system, right? Well, I believe Midnight Cowboy and, oh, what's that very good book about? That? There were like six movies all happening around 67. And Bonnie and Clyde was one. Midnight Cowboy was one. The Graduate was one. And they pretty much broke the studio system. They were independent films. And then I came to New York, and that's all I did was independent films, and I did a lot of them then. Yeah. I, I know in cinematography terms, um, in the old studio system, the cameramen were very regimentally trained, and you would never point the camera toward the sun and get lens flares into the lens um, because you'd be fired. The studio did not allow this, but then 
I think uh, Bonnie and Clyde was one of the, the first films to have lens flares intentionally. Um, and the studio didn't like that, but, but they went ahead with it, and, and it just kind of broke the mold, and it was that time where everything changed. So you were there for really the revolution between yes. the MGM no studio, the Par Paramount studio, those things. But, all, all the actors were under contract for individual studios. So you absolutely feel you have more freedom now. Yes. In design, of course. Well, and I have, and I always have. Mm -hmm. I never, ever worked in that manner, ever. I've only worked with people I know, uh, and or their mothers or their kids or their in-laws. It's uh, starting with Mike Nichols and that world. But when I went to California to do the Goodbye Girl, it was still, I mean, there were still some of the old way of doing things. And they put a wardrobe man on and a wardrobe lady on. And the designers of the studios did the principals. That's the way it was done. Edith Head did not do the secretary's costume. And anyway, that that's a huge amount of explanation for you all and I, I don't think you'd be much interested but we do like the detail well we'll be here till midnight <laughs> uh, the studio system was the studio system if you if you've read the stories about working at Disney and you were allowed to do eyes but not lips that's basically the way it worked everywhere in the studio you were allowed you were allowed not to to, to create anything. You were allowed to be part of it. Everybody was a technician on a very specific yeah, part yeah, of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were skilled. Yeah. The other thing to note at that time was, because it wasn't all bad, was that it was after the war, you noticed, I guess during World War II, the enormous influx of talent that came from Europe into Los Angeles. And mostly that was musicians and huge of being painters from Italy and uh, musicians from... It was, on Sundays, I would be invited to someone's house and there would be a string quartet. or It was just really wonderful. Very, very wonderful. Um, but as far as costume designers go, they were, it was not, they weren't treated very well. So now maybe even just talk about um, the kind of, um, I want to say the kind of freedom that you have in, in design. I mean, when you're, when you're designing, it's very different than um, fashion designers because you're obviously designing for a particular narrative. So to what degree, um, and I'll, let's start with um, Giovanni, to what degree is that interpretation left to you for the costumes? Well, obviously it depends what's the project and what, who is going to be watching at it, let's say, you know, who's going to be the audience. But uh, understanding what the final result has to be for producers, like showrunners, if it's the case of the TV, whether you know, in the movie or as the director who will give you, you know, uh, information of what direction you should go but let's say based on what the final product they want to create then you'll uh, 
obey and somehow you'll direct all the you know your creativity or some towards that direction it can be a very different a period piece a sci-fi uh, it can be any different things it can be a, a modern movie so you should be able and flexible to understand what the world in which world you have to operate you can't you know face every project in the same way uh, otherwise uh, you should i, I just had they wouldn't hire you unless they thought you were going to bring something to it. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's the truth. Yeah. Especially, I, mean, in, I would say, in your case, Anne. Fair I, enough. But that's the, the that's the principle. Well, the fact that I'm seventy five years older than you, yes. But the <laughs> fa- but it's true. That, I mean, they would say, "Oh, for God's sake, don't have Anne Roth. She's much too difficult." I, I no because uh, I'm not. Uh, she's too expensive, or she's too this. Uh, but usually it's the director. The director's the person who hires me, always. Sure. Always. But then you're also working not just with the character in the production, but also with that um, actor's personality, Mm-mm. would you say? Or no, Mm-mm. that doesn't come into play ever? Not much, no. Well, that's interesting. No. Uh, strangely enough, I'm doing a play now with Elaine May. Mm-hmm. And I've known Elaine. Do you know who I'm talking about, Charles? I don't know. Do you know who Mike Nichols was? Yes. Well, Elaine May and Mike Nichols were this phenomenal... Oh, Nichols and May, yes. Yes, Yes, Uh I do know who she is. And so Elaine is in a play that I'm doing now, and she has directed movies, very good ones, and she has written great movies. Uh, The Birdcage was one of them. The, and she's a wonderful writer, so she's acting in this one. So yes, there is a personality there, but that's because she doesn't act very much, and I don't. I mean, I don't know that she would say I'm an actor, but right. she is now. It's great. Well, in fairness, um, if an actor, I believe, uh, goes knows, then you know, uh, going to have a fitting with Anne Roth, and I'm not saying because Anne is here, they obviously know her history and what she's been doing the whole life. And it's different approach they're going to have, let's say, in this case with me and Anne, not even in terms of respect, just because they know her job properly, properly made over the years. So they put themselves in different hands. Whether it can be my case or someone else's case, they want to find out mm-hmm. whether you I know what that. they're doing, and that's fair enough. If you don't understand that they, they want to trust you, then you make the mistake of forcing them to wear something they don't feel comfortable with. Well, they won't look good in it. What do you think? Like you know, when they come to you, they know what's going on. And even if they have a, bit, a little doubt, they know they're better not to with you because the things is going to go in a certain way. And you have a lot of history. So we face the job differently. But you started. And so you must have gone through the same thing at the very beginning with your personality, I do believe. But an actor... First of all, you are only there to help the actor. You are not there for yourself. No one's going to say, oh, look at that costume Anne Roth did. It, if the, the actor must feel good in it, you cannot force anybody to wear something that he's... It, it, you just wouldn't do that. That's true. It's just not possible. Uh, the dilemma is this. You have... I do my own drawings, which is uh, not always the case anymore. My drawings are made. The director and I usually are having a glass of wine or something. 
in the tailor shop and I say, this is what I want to do. And he'll say, oh, I love that train, make it longer. And you have that kind of thing. Or that's an awfully bright color. I intend to walk her out into the sunshine in that. And you, you do. Or he'll say, oh my God, I never expected her to, I never. I remember putting uh, Matt Damon in green wool, awfully mean, vicious green swimming trunks in, uh, in The Talented Mr. Ripley. And everybody said, you're not gonna put that. He's our leading man. I said, yes, I am. And I said to Matt, I said, if you want to win an Academy Award, you'll put these on. And I, I threw him at him, he put him on, and that was the end of that discussion. But you, he, he knew that I was interested in him and, and the character that he was playing. And where did those trunks come from? You, ha you have to know where they are when they take them off at night. Do they throw them on the floor? Do they have a maid? Does his mother pick them up? Uh, it has to... All of it has to have a reason. A story. You extend that story. Correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. I mean, that's with everything and everybody. Well, everything you put into making a movie has to advance the story or you're wasting energy that you could use storytelling. If you put anything into the picture that, that doesn't serve yeah. it, then yeah. you're just... It's a waste. And, and artists well, don't like to do that. director to discover. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Okay, um, question. Giovanni, you came into, uh, you know, here with designers, there's often, as especially lately, a lot of change in creative directors. And they come in and they usually have a charge, you know, where has the business been? Where, does, where will they take the business in the future? What are we talking about? Um, well, I'm, I'm getting to a question. Okay, so you entered... Um, Badlands in season two. Yeah. So were there changes that they wanted to make in season two? You know, and how how were you how were you able to accomplish that? This is a very very interesting question for me. Um, as there was this dystopian world, they call it something in the next future when they you know when everything start over again. So luckily, nobody wants to pick up a show in the second season. That was delighted. There was another season before that because I could watch and see what happened before. And it did an amazing job. Um, so with the showrunner, we met up and talked about what was not to be done again and what he wanted to add to it. So I already had a visual of what they wanted and how I could have developed my way with, with my own taste. So luckily, that was a good way for me to start, something then they said, this is, this is going to die. That's gonna, we bring this alive. And then there were like new groups and new stories. So luckily, since it was a very difficult world to establish, somehow that happened you know, the season before. And for me, I considered it a, a lot easier to develop from there. And do you feel like you took it up a notch in intricacy or well, color? Or like how do you... How? I didn't know mm -hmm. until it finished. So for the whole year, I just put my head down and I was literally afraid of looking at what I was doing because it didn't even need time to think back. And that's the TV. It corners that's you. You got to do it in one shot. I believe that was lucky that that happened to me as that was my first experience because if I had too much of think, 
I would have done a lot more mistakes. So for me, it was a lucky thing not to look back. Then at the end of the show, I looked back and I said, okay, I'm happy, then at least I made it, and I made something that I like. And everybody was more than happy than I was, so I had to believe them that the show went well. But yes, I was, as I said, I saw something and I said, I can just, with my point of view, grow up the thing in this direction. And eventually other people agreed, and so the actors were. But there's a time when all the cast they look at each other, at this new person, and they say, are we going to go for it, or are we going to let him do it? And so if one is against, everybody turns against you. That's the very difficult <laughs> time, if you know God. what I mean. Luckily, the thing went well and everybody got happy about it. And this is the thing. You got, it's like being uh, like in, a, in, a school, in a school when either they go with or without you. This is not about cast. It's in general. It's easy to go against or uh, with uh, something. So I didn't look at anything. I just was running towards, you know, deadlines. But obviously I had some ideas and I was going with that. And they, I found it a lot easier than I thought it could be. And then, Anne, do you ever, I mean, I know you are often, or it seems you're often working on multiple shows at once. Do you go, do you see a show when it opens and then decide to make any adjustments? Or Are you talking about uh, Broadway? Broadway. I don't change them after, the, but there's usually a, really nice long time between the dress rehearsal and the first preview. There's lots of time. Something else I read, and I'm, I want to ask, um, with Nicole Kidman in The Hours, uh, yes. and I do absolutely remember that movie and remember her face being different. That, Who knows? Yes. So was that your decision? Like you also I tell you, I, do had, makeup? Not, I had never met her. And uh, I was in London, and I went to a shoemaker, and I was, and he said, "Who are these four? And I said, "They're for a woman who's playing the role of uh, Virginia Woolf. It's 1922." Uh, and he said, "Oh, Virginia Woolf, the shoemaker, said this." He said, "I used to listen to her read to children over the radio when I was young." I said, oh, how wonderful. He said, she had the most wonderful voice. I said, yes. He said, I think it was, he didn't say her nose, but he said it was her, her a strange accent or something. And I said, now, I was, I left there and I thought, a shoemaker knows how Virginia Woolf spoke. That's wonderful. <laughs> So about three, four days later, I get on a plane and I go to Los Angeles to meet Nicole. And I had taken with me a hat that I wanted to put on her and look in the mirror and see what I saw. And I did that and I said, you know, Nicole, your nose is not gonna make it. <laughs> and now, the best thing you can do for an actor, and this always sneaks up on you, is to remove him or her from, him, from himself. The minute you do that, he's free to be someone else. If he looks in the mirror and does not recognize himself, he's free, and he can, he can start the creative process. This is, an, this is very interesting for me to listen to. When you free... Sometimes probably they freak out, and when they when you free them, right? Do they get scared well, or what? Well, 
it goes this way. You're in the fitting room, and you have an actor you don't know very well. Now, I did not know her. And about an hour into it, now, mind you, you know what you want her to have because you've prepared it, and it's in a closet right there. <laughs> you can't say you and I are going to form this character together <clears throat> because you've already done it. You don't lie about it. But I said, just do me a favor and stand there and be a dummy and let me play. And if you hate something, hit me while I'm bending down, adjusting your hem or whatever. But you have in that room a tailor or dressmaker. You have an assistant making notes, maybe a wardrobe person picking up the 14 pair of earrings on the floor and the shoes, and a bust pad, a shoulder pad. It's a mess. And she's staring at the mirror. And I'm forever sliding a telephone book under the, her heel to bring her up, playing. And suddenly I say, now just put this on and don't say a word. It's weird, but I want to try it. And we do that. And the hem of the dress is here, and then suddenly I'm bending over pulling it up, and I look in the mirror, and I do not see Nicole anymore, and neither does she, and there's some ephemeral thing there, and it says, back off, and that thing tells you where to put that ham. I mean, it all then sorts, starts to fall into place. You grab the bus pad out, and you throw it on the floor, <clears throat> and suddenly you're getting a shape of some strange character, and that character becomes real. That takes maybe two fittings. The first one is... To learn. Yes, exactly. And the second one, you start, you're, you're more secure. You, you say, and just, they are. Too. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you mm -hmm. say, listen, let uh, take that wig off. Just throw it off. Or... T turn it around and put this baseball hat on backwards or something. You know what I'm saying. You you play and something snaps and it's very nice. Powerful. It's very nice. So there she was with this teeny tiny nose and I went back to London and at Pinewood a wonderful studio with loads of history and not one talented person in the entire place. I went to the makeup department and there was the guy in charge, Harry Hollywood, I mean, big, big bossy guy. And I said, I need somebody who can make a perfect nose. Well, all the people in Europe, they're all over the place. He was not it. <laughs> <clears throat> but he's all I had at that moment, and I tried. But there are so many good people, but not... In that case. Not at Pinewood. Anyway, um, he did it. He made it with a lot of help, and um, I was forced to use it. But, I mean, it, it took hours and hours. It, it took days for me to be happy with that nose, but I was happy with it. Then the producer came and he said, 
I'm paying for all this. I'm paying this woman and nobody knows who she is. <laughs> I said, too bad. Fair well, much. it's funny because you have to get used to yeah. her looking that way in yeah. the film. But it's so... You do? Yes, I rem- I actually remember that. But then, you know, her, her character is so dark and, and deep that it just became perfect. I actually remember. But it actually does look like Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but you know it's Nicole Kidman. That's the thing. But she wasn't a... Was she a big star at that time? I'm not sure. I think she was <laughs> big yeah. enough, yeah. Yeah, she'd been... She was certainly with Tom Cruise, I think, Well, yes, time. she did have That's the, the Tom Cruise. Yeah. She was on a lot of magazine covers. People had really All seen right. her face. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's an adorable woman. I've done several things with her since. What's your favorite place to work? Which workroom? Just no. Generally, what what region of the world where you've made films? What was your favorite place to to go and and be able to express yourself? It's funny. People always say, say, "What do you do for a living?" You say, "I'm a costume designer." And the next thing they say, invariably, is, "Oh, what fun!" I, I have never had fun making a movie. Never, <laughs> except once. This doesn't sound nice because they're hovering in New York at the moment. That was Mamma Mia. It was so dopey that we just all went to this island and had a great time. And I was with Meryl and Christine Baranski. Yeah. And uh, were you we, in England? Where were you? What did you? We were in England, but we no, we went to uh, Skiathos. Oh. And we were in a Greek, a oh, Greek yeah. island, two oh, Greek yes. islands. Oh yes. I mean, we did do some interiors in England. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You were there. But I prepared it. I prepared it in California because I was doing something else. Fair enough. So that I, was. Fun. I kind of refrained from seeing it. You know, it was like, oh no, I'm not going to the see first that. One, and then when I saw no, it, no, I no. absolutely loved it. Yes, it's did, so. So, dopey. did you have fun? Just we even just had a great being, time. <laughs> a great. I will never forget it because I don't know. I can't even remember was very enjoyable, yeah? Yes, yes, and Phyllida Lloyd, the director, who's very <laughs> well known for her heavy Shakespeare, yeah. did this gig. It was, anyway, it was fun. <laughs> you can tell she loved it. So what were some of the biggest challenges you've had? Uh, well, I mean, it, the big challenge is, first of all, I believe it's with yourself, you know? Every time you start picking a piece of fabric based on a little sketch or something, then whatever comes out of that, because there's going to be uh, tailors and people with a lot of experience and skills, they'll listen you and they'll do something. So once that happens, you got to be okay with that. Because if you see that at the end of the day, you don't like it, you don't sleep that night. So uh, you don't sleep that night. Um, and everybody sees that, you know. This is you doing it live. It's a live performance in front of like the whole department. You know, everybody will see what's happening. So you can change your mind. You can do anything you want. But the first step, and it's frightening. You gotta pick a piece of fabric for one costume, for for another one, and for another. So the big challenge is when you feel you're ready to deliver that idea, and you do not have one. I believe every time is needed to be. I don't think I don't know what you think, Anne, but that's the first challenge then you need to know when you're ready to deliver, even if there's a schedule waiting for you. So you can't really procrastinate on when you're ready for it. Do you know what I mean? So what do you think, Anne? Well, uh, the challenge for you, when you get to create something. The biggest something. challenge for me is to have 
the right the right talent with me, the tailor, the right tailor. I mean, I would go to Palermo to get the guy from the Palermo Opera House. If I know that I want a certain fabric, I have to have that fabric. If it comes from some obscure town in Switzerland, I have to have it. The shoemaker. On Shuffle Along, a Broadway show, I had four shoemakers working in Europe. It was so complex, balancing, getting them, having them sent back. None of them all, none of them came at the same time. It was an, fitting them, sending them back, having them fit, altered and then back again. But to have the right shoemaker, to have the right leather, that is what I care most about the shoemaker, the, the makeup artist, the hairdresser. To have the right hairdresser is well, the and, wig maker. And in the Shuffle Along also, it's just they're moving and sweating in those clothes. I mean, that's... That's a good gang. That was a terrific okay, gang. So please talk about, I mean, Savion Glover, I have so much appreciation for him. And I've seen... Are you in love every, with him? Totally. Yes. And I have seen <laughs> him just about with every jazz musician that he's played with oh, in New York. Oh, wonderful. So I want to know, and, and the amazing thing about I him is... I had a dance is, floor made for him, put over my swimming pool, and he came out. We had a great party. Are you kidding me? This is, this is someone whose emotion comes out through his body. This, this is a skill He's beyond. Beyond. So what was it like to work with him? Because I'm I sure him, that, that was a different choreographer than others you've worked He's with. The, well, I've just worked with uh, Justin Peck. Yeah, but very but different, Justin I'm sure, Peck than Justin. Justin is in love with Savion. He is? Well, of course. of course. Who isn't? He's the best. Yeah. You would love him. Very yeah. sweet. Yeah. A diamond, yeah? He's... And skills. He's a good soul. Yeah. I mean, it seems. I don't know yeah, him personally, there's not, there's but there's not know. a mean bone in the body. Yeah. So talented. Mm-hmm. I love him. So Fran is having the right skill makers. Because yes, obviously that's really it. You can make a lovely drawing. You have a great idea if you do, but oh, then you're in God. someone's hands, and right. If that person that day has a bad day, then you gotta wait until you know what I mean. So well, having person that knows I, you well. You have to go to the place. I mean, you have to have what you have to have. Right. And, I mean, tailors now. Yeah. Impossible to find tailors now. Because, I hate to say it, but it had everything to do with Armani using women's feminine fabrics for men's suits in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the tradition of tailors work flat on a table. Yeah. Dressmakers work up, and it the demand then for tailors. If you say the word balance to a tailor, if he doesn't know what that means, you walk out of the room. You're in trouble. But the, I would tell you now, seventy, eighty percent of them have no idea what that means. And but I don't know for, if I would for blame our listeners. It. What does it mean? What balance means? What, yeah. What What does balance mean in tailor? Well, we'd have to, we'd have to have a suit, on a stand right now, and I would have to show you. Okay. It's not a verbal thing. It has to do with, well, the entire nineteenth century, Ugh, way before that. But the nineteenth century is. You don't listen. This is, 
In simple terms, it's Give also it bit, how yeah. the front of your garment and the back of your garment align and balance on the body. That's pretty good. That's, I didn't know it could be that simple, Kathy. <laughs> it's a say. That's pretty good. Just saying. You're blaming it on Armani that the tailors are gone. I think it's also the fact that we I'm, have no, listen, we I'm don't have rooms here anymore. His, but I know. We don't have what? We don't have as many tailoring rooms here anymore. Why in would fact, you? We have, Nobody wants them. I know, but we did have a lot, and that was we a whole. We have no milliners either. Yeah. It was a culture. Not a milliner. I know a few. There's Do still you? a few. There's still a few in the CFDA. Uh, Alberta Swanpool has been on the show. He's a very good friend. Yeah. I I like to give him work, and I do. And I've introduced him to Santo. I think he did some things for Dolly. He did. He did something for me for uh, two shows. Anyway, I, I like Alberta very much. But they're becoming less available. Yeah, that's the thing. Obviously, there are less of less in quantity, you know, for yeah. the amount of production. I was talking to a milliner today, and she was under the age of. Now she was too young to even know what I was talking about. In, the day of making of millinery, there was something called a spot tray. You take willow a sheet of willow, and you put it in warm water and it becomes pliable, and then you make the shape of the hat you want. And when it's made, and it looks like the hat, only it's made of willow, that is the pattern, the spot tray. Now that is not, you can't even buy willow now. Right. So you're not going to have millinery anymore. Oh, there's so many other materials you could probably use to do the same the thing. Japanese have something, but it's not. It's not as. Let's well, see. I mean, you don't have to use wood. There, there are new textiles that have stiffness to them that you might be able to mold with different. I don't uh, know. That people should play with it. I think. Oh, I think they do. Yeah. I think they do. I was with two of them today. They've been playing around for a long time, years. So, how big are your teams? And I have to ask, I'm, I'll start with I'm you, I'm sure yours are bigger. Giovanni, because in watching a few of Into the Badlands is like... What is Badlands? Hardcore martial arts. It's a martial arts show. Is it a period piece? It's uh, in uh, like in a in hundred years or something from now, after the, the world has been destroyed. And so the human being start over again with what they have. So there's no, in the guns, huh? there's no, a lot of technology. So they like, they make the world out of what they have left over after mm -hmm. the big war. So it's a human being and the humanity who start over again at some point over the years. Oh, but, I'd love to see this. How do, where do you see it? It's on AMC and on Netflix, I guess there's um, two yes, seasons. I think they're starting on Netflix as well. I'll let you know where you can find I'd it. I'd love to see it. So there's a lot of yeah. sword. Oh, yeah. there is. Oh yeah, and blood yeah. and there's, so there's, how there's how 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 many of each costume do you make? Right. I mean, that's a simple cost uh, a question, but obviously there have to be a lot of takes. Yeah, that how, that that oh. will that actually makes you uh, that gives you restrictions on 
in somehow or what you have to that's what i was saying to the previous question if you make any design you need to consider the time you have for each piece and for how many of these one you have to make you mean so you have to find mm -hmm. a quick idea that that tailor that knows you you know them they can do it because they're going to have four five or six it depends uh -huh. Uh -huh. so we had a, a very big department that we had like about 50, 35 uh, people <laughs> into the workshop with four tailors you know and then we need to have outsourced uh, other places that will make the multiples for the stunt doubles and the you know this you know knife stabs and, and is all this things. in in budapest that was in dublin that was shot in ireland you found that many tailors in dublin uh we brought some from uh, budapest i bet you did yeah because in ireland there's a lot of work as well so there was not a lot of people available there's a lot of you know there's like a game of thrones and vikings and all these things uh -huh. so you deal I also with such a good show what Vikings. That's a good show. Yes, it. You know, yeah. A lot of people liked it, so I, I believe that. Did you do that? No. Vikings. No, no, no never done that. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, there's a big department, and production would allow this big. There was fifty, you know, uh, people on the whole costume department, and they will allow you because they understand the time they need to have it. It's worth it the amount of people and expense for that because they want to have everything obviously uh, fast, fast as possible. Because they needs to air while you work do you know what i mean so the whole system of tv is they know exactly what they're going to do and they will put money out there to have that in time right so but even sometimes a, a good gabriella our mutual friend designer she mm -hmm. says don't give me a lot of money give me time she would say to the producers don't give me a lot of money just give me the time but unfortunately <laughs> Times Time goes money. against you. So do we have Time's some... more expensive than money. That's the thing. So there's like characters like Moon. There's some people that had seven outfits. Never, the, we only made it one seven. But because they need to go through a lot of aging and they go through a lot of hell mm -hmm. and, you know, stand doubles. And, and did you take an aging crew from Italy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very Who'd important. Who did you take? It's very important that we had a, a two age in the aging department. These people, first they make the fabric of the color you want. And then once the costume is ready, it's going to be aged as if it look uh, very, very old in use over the years. And the sun is going to be, you know, taking the colors off and everything. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's ugly until it goes through the aging department. And when it comes out of there, it looks real. No, Anne? Yeah, wow. of course. They have those layering processes. Agers are very, very difficult to find. <laughs> this is another thing. Very difficult. Because it's a, also a hard job, no? Very difficult. Yes, it is. It's a very physical job. It's a very tough job. So aging, and maybe I don't really understand this completely. So with the Iceman cometh, which I did not see your production, but I saw the two before. Um, so and, and I, re I remember, I mean, the, the not that as an audience person, you might think of the fact that you're looking at costumes, but you're looking at clothing that shows the depressed state yeah, that I, the I, actor I, is in. So are those clothes aged? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. If you have You're not a, buying secondhand clothes or using not secondhand clothes. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> no. This is the big challenge to make it look exactly as they've gone through the hell, right? Well, these guys were all drunks living in a hotel in Waverly or. Yes, in the village. Sixth, yeah. yeah, Fourth Street somewhere. And urine stained pants. But so was Midnight Cowboy. Right. 
Except Iceman Cometh was much longer, so you really Four left, hours. you really felt it. Yeah. So yes. there's the long process of... Aging is a very big deal in, in our business. Uh, I, I was involved with a movie about Iraq that was filmed in Morocco. No money. It was very little money, and a French director, artist that I loved. And so we went to help my gang and we had brand new uniforms Gosh. yeah exactly and you're out in the desert and you need boiling water you need you need to destroy the stuff you need to put it on planks with uh sandpaper sandpaper and rasps and and you have to and it's endless it's very hard work and so you the to get a good ager i mean most people take two and three agers and their crew with them on big pictures well they they have like a big big pot you know like <laughs> metal pot like a big pasta thing giant yes and like a witch's cauldron say it again witch's cauldron yes yeah that one and they have three or four of these ones and then they put the fabric inside and when you take this fabric out of the water right it's so heavy so i had two big um a wooden stick like you know like the, the, the chopstick thing and they just twist this fabric which is really he really heavy at that point you see them sweating in there and they pull it out and then they tr and they try in the c different color until they get what has to be on the sample and then they start and then once the fabric is ready you're going to do the costume make it and it goes back down into this place and they pour bleach to take this color off again. And then they just die with oh, the different so ones. Oh, there's so many. Different so many. system. But that looks something, look, it's been used for 50 years, you know? How important is color in creating a costume and, and helping an actor create a character? In, in the very specific colors that, that you want. I would like to hear Anne first and then I'll have it. How important is the color? It is the ability to execute a color, a specific color that you have in your head. Not hard at all. No, how important is it? Well, if I want it, it's important. <laughs> Charles, don't make me but, sound like an old... But no, but he, in a way, in a way... And I don't understand the question. No, this is the thing. This is the thing. I, I do assume is when you use it or when you don't use it, or what the show wants from or the movie wants uh, as you say i decide for this scene is outside i want the color there and then you'll talk through the director so when you like it and when you don't like it when the show required it and when it doesn't require it. so the show that i worked on the producers wanted to have instead instead of dark and gray they were not afraid of colors this is the first time i worked nice. in, the, in the show where usually everybody's afraid so you got to go into graying things down so Funny enough, the aging and dying people that I work with, like Enzo and others, they were not feeling free to use the colors. And I had to tell them, let's make it as if it looked like a mistake. Oh, good. Make it wrong. That's nice. Make it very like bright. That. They wanted this show. Miles Miller, the showrunner, wanted to have a popping colors. What? Constantly. The showrunner is who? Uh, Miles Miller is a showrunner. Is the writer and the person who is also the artist. He has the overseas of the uh, the art, you know, of the the vision is the I owner see. of the oh, visual. I see. 
So he goes on each department. He's not the director because you know in a TV show there's director each few episodes. But this gentleman is the one who wrote the show and also ha is responsible for the visual. So he will come and talk. You work I see. for it's the his vision. Correct. I see. So he said I've colors, heard that name. very bright colors. So I never had to do a bright red, a bright yellow, a bright green. Sometimes it was like almost scary to see mm -hmm, these things. Mm -hmm. And the and the people that I usually worked for, they were saying they were looking at me. Are you sh sure we're doing that? And I said I assume so. So and then eventually you correct this very vivid, um, almost wrong. So in that show specifically, which I never done any work like that before, colors were so important. And uh, this the, is Badlands. Yes, but the purple and green and yellow. You got to find. Right. I said season three, Miles. There's no color left. What are we going to do now? Uh -huh. I wish I knew last year. We, uh, we went through all these, you know, you used colors and then you have to find something and you have to go into uh, patterns there because each baron's had the, was a different family. I have and, to see this And show. each of those ones had different colors. Thank you for the question. So and what, do you, what, what do you call that in a film? Because in the beginning of the show, it begins in those poppies. You know, he's driving through Correct. a field of poppies and they kind of pop out oh, in right. this... You know, and I don't know if you watched Patrick Melrose. That was no, um, I read it. that was a series. I read right, it. of course. Well, they they did um, a series, and there and there's certain times where the Sabbath. color is so sharp. So what is that called? I mean, I saturation. Yeah, but is it the camera person who's doing that, or is that a different creative director? It, like no, who is that? It's a collaborative. All of you yeah. do it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's yeah. a big collaboration. It's, I, I think it's that, a, it becomes a feast for the eyes when you're watching it. Oh, like that's it's nice. very it's interesting. I think to answer your question about what a showrunner is, they started having so many people with the title producer that they had to say this person is the showrunner. But because, he wrote it, he says. No, I'm I'm saying on, on any given television series, mm -hmm. you might have nine producers. And so the question comes up who's actually in charge and so you say okay this producer is the showrunner and that's not really the title credit they get on the show uh -huh. but that's their role and that's that's an industry term that I think that's come about since 2000 that it's relatively but, recent but how many people can write the show just one no well no you could have lots of writers but this is the person who drives oh, the show I see yeah it could be a writer producer I or see. yeah but mm -hmm. really, they're the person who guides the story from one episode to that the next. That is not the way because... the movie business works. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. You have a director in the movies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, sometimes you have a producer, like the, uh, the 007, yeah. who calls the shots of how they want it done. Yeah. That's very rare. Yeah, it's different. It's very rare. rare. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But television also switched to... You used to have episodes that were separated from each other, unless you were talking about a soap opera that you would have a, a television show one week and it wouldn't affect the next week. The characters would like reset. It was like it didn't happen. They're just they're just starting the play really? over again. With There's one particular show but, that but I heard now, about called Black Mirror, which yeah. I guess each episode is almost like separated from the others. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like each episode is almost like a new story. But most of them, they're trying yeah. to keep you through the, yeah, you know, now, the whole now, thing. Now there yeah. are story arcs. But if you were talking about in the the early 90s or the 80s the television shows didn't really have a memory like you'd watch an episode of Knight Rider and 
it would be the episode, and then that didn't connect at all. But it's it was the same, same characters, char- right. same yeah. characters, like a but the story smart. didn't co- carry over. So now there's this role of a producer who drives the story as the mm-hmm. story arc, and I'm that's the show. I'm missing so much yeah. because I simply don't have the time. I yeah. do not have the time to watch television. That's good. Well, I don't know I that it is good. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen. What's the one that that. Well, what's the one that's going to win all the Emmys this year? I think it was uh, Game of Thrones. That's right. Mostly. I've never seen Game I'm of Thrones. I'm not sure if it was the on- not the only one, yeah. It's an interesting show. Well, that's you have time because it's there, out there, so you can do whatever you want. Yeah. This is the thing. You can you watch mean, it. You can order it. And no, then... there's a, ne- you know, mostly, I believe it's Netflix. I don't know if I'm wrong. They're all there displayed. So come, at some point, yeah. you I push know. the button and I you'll know. see I know. I have to get somebody to come and do that. Do you we'll think do Patrick Melrose will win an award? Did you watch that? I haven't. Okay. Because it's only six episodes. So but you I heard don't have to it. get it. You, have you will seen love Mrs. it. Mrs. Maisel? Yes. Oh, and wonderful. I kind of loved it. Everybody yeah. likes that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watch them do the costumes in the shop, and they're yeah. quite wonderful. The, the costumes are wonderful. Yeah. 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 Quite wonderful. Yeah. Are you primarily based in New York, or do you travel just with production wherever? Well, I have a studio on 23rd Street. And I have a little apartment on Gramercy Park. So this is my base. But I do, I don't really work in California. Only because they don't make movies out there. They pretend to, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, they, they've kind of stopped. I mean, it, it's well, everywhere else but California. 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but they seem to like the climate and the the production offices are there. Yeah, the executives stay in California. Then yeah. they make the filmmakers go off into the desert and the frozen north and wherever. Well, they do Europe a lot, yeah. <laughs> or Vancouver in the rain. Well, no, excuse me, Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta. Who wants oh. to go there, I'm asking you. Huge studio there now. Oh, yeah. it, it's they make so many movies in yes. Atlanta. Every actor I have who comes in over here, they say, oh, how's your husband? Oh, he's in Atlanta. Or, how's your son? He's in Atlanta. I mean, everybody's in Atlanta making movies. And so was New Orleans. New yeah. Orleans has been a place where it's been a lot of mm-hmm. shooting. I mean, I don't know now, but like... Really? But Why? Is like, oh, yeah. inexpensive? It's a tax or? rebate thing. Yeah, it's been a huge battle with the tax rebates. Yes. But, uh, yes they were all in North Carolina, true. and I was down there at Screen Gems, and then... We lost the tax incentives, and I went off to yeah. grad school, and I didn't have a film studio to go back to because there were no movies. Where were you? In I, Wilmington? I, I was in Wilmington for, for college. Was, and That was yeah. built by uh, De Laurentiis. Yeah, that was Dino's oh, really? studio, and Frank Capra oh, really? set it up with him and then came wow. back. And I worked. Ran. I did several pictures there, and when it rained, it's a tin roof. They neglected to put a soundproof <laughs> roof on a, on a movie yeah. studio. It's also next to an airport. That's unbelievable. How smart could they be, I wonder? <laughs> Well, it was a much smaller airport then. <laughs> and then uh, it's crazy because the, the logo for Screen Gems is the, it looks like a hurricane symbol when they put the hurricane on the map. And uh, Where did you go to school? UNC Wilmington, North Carolina School ah. of the Arts, and American University of ah. D.C. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was wonderful making movies there, but, but then the They're production dried it. up because the the other states started offering the yeah. same kind of tax credits yeah. and then there was a that happened in Louisiana and yeah. New Orleans for that reason I don't know things must have changed if you think Badlands was the first season shot in, in, in New Orleans New Orleans and they oh relocate to New Orleans what's up man? New Orleans that 
Good That's memory? hot. It is extremely hot. No, my memory of New Orleans is Mike Nichols and I are walking to work one morning out of the hotel. Yeah. And a stunning gentleman comes out of a what I thought was a restaurant with the pinky and unders and a glass, and he throws up on Mike's shoe. <laughs> <laughs> That's my memory because everyone is drinking all the time. Because he can. Thing all is over. so. Especially in the summer. Oh. Right. They're still not really quite back, you know, after Katrina. Oh yeah. And there's a lot yeah, of no. transient, you know. There's there's right. a lot of people in the streets and so on. So it might happen again if you go back. No, thank you. Well, and with with the number of films that you've produced that have been very popular. I don't have, produce. Well, you you've the produced design. the costumes for. Oh. Um, you you have produced film. I mean, not, never. No, you you have made movies because you're the costume designer. You've made things that were part of it, is what I mean. Okay. Uh, with as many films as you've been involved in and, and pushed the creative content of in terms of the costumes, have you seen something that you pulled out of history or you pulled out from somewhere else that um, you added to a film and then you saw it everywhere? Has fashion ever picked oh, up course. on something? That happens yes? all the time. <laughs> okay. It really does. What are some examples? What have you thrown out there that then became everywhere? Thrown out? Well... well I mean, the put, first put movie into I ever did, yeah, was the World of Henry Orient. That was the first movie I did on my own when I was not an assistant. That was in 1961 or two, and there were two children who go to Brearley and they're chasing um, who played Henry Orient, Peter Sellers. Mm -hmm. It's a very wonderful uh, George Roy Hill movie. And one child's mother and father are uh, sort of jet-setty and never around, and the kid's on her own. And I pretended that she was going to school one day, and she grabbed her mother's mink coat to wear. And she was seven or eight years old, maybe nine, but she was under five foot tall. And the coat dragged on the ground, and she was seen in the movie hopping on a city bus. I bought it from some guy who obviously it had... Uh, I bought it from a guy in a parking lot. Not shortly thereafter, but after <laughs> that, I'm doing Midnight Cowboy, and Brenda Vaccaro's contract said that she had to appear naked in the movie. She agreed to do that, and then she chickened out and she came to me and she said Ann I I can't so back to the parking lot back to the thieves who stole the last mink coat and I bought a red fox coat for her and in the scene where she takes John Voight home it's an ice cold loft on the lower on Mercer Street, and uh, John, and I said, John, I, she's going to be naked in a red fox coat. So prepare yourself. You will not be seeing Brenda naked. And he said, okay, because there wasn't anything he could do about it. 
And he said, okay. Okay, that was that. And this was the beginning of something called Fun Furs, which was a thing of the 60s. And soon, every closet in New York was selling used furs, and everybody was wearing used furs. It's not what I would call a cultural uh, contribution to the world, but I did do that. <laughs> and a million others like it. I love that. That happens, no? In certain movies that become iconic yeah. images. Starting from the actors, how many times, Anne, you've been asked, can I keep that coat? Can I keep that dress? I don't care. No, but what I'm saying is they, starting from them, then they like to wear it. Oh, then uh, it, 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 goes all, it goes out of that movie and it goes in their private life. And some people see that as yes. an iconic image and they start wanting to have it, right? But you can usually tell an actor by the way he or she dresses because there is no strong personification there, no strong identity. That would hurt their feelings if they heard me say that, and I guess they will, won't they? But it's true. Uh, there is... It's... You saw what Meryl was wearing yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't now to tell what she was wearing. I mean, it has no. So is that because they never really had to? No, concentrate it has on their to own do. persona, or because people have always helped them? No, no, no. Nobody's helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's helped it's, them with their character. I mean, oh, and, the character, their own personal character, is negated because they are skilled at Correct. at making characters. Yes. So. That's true. Are we done? I believe so. Thank you so much. AmericanFashionPodcast.com is our website. AFPOD is our Twitter handle. And on Instagram, we are at American Fashion Show. There's a Be a Guest form on our website. You can also give us feedback through the website, through voicemail at 646-979-8709, or by writing to info at AmericanFashionPodcast.com. We occasionally do live events, and to get on the list for free tickets to our live shows, click the live show link also on our website. American Fashion Podcast is produced by the Fashion Media Center, for Mouth Media Network. Listen to our sister shows, Fashion is Your Business, Material is Your Business, and Beauty is Your Business, also on Mouth Media Network. This and other episodes are copyrighted by Open Source Business Incorporated and Mouth Media Network Incorporated, all rights reserved. Subsist, friends, remain in force, keep making things beautiful, and keep listening. I'm Charles Beckwith, and we'll talk to you again next week. (music) 